I'd like to turn with you to the passage that we've been looking at. Um, we've been looking at the church, and uh, and we want to look at the church as a, a moving animal, so to speak, and not a stuffed animal. Uh, you, if you try to study everything that the Bible says or all the books say about church, you can get a static idea of church. But what we want to do is we look at axis to see the church as it was moving. Yeah? So if you, have, you, if you have a stuffed cat, you can look at the cat, but it's not moving, and you can only get a certain amount of knowledge about it. But when you see a cat that's moving, and you see it's, uh, it's, it, the way it moves, the way it responds, the way it reacts to things, you see a moving picture. And sometimes we can get all kinds of ideas about church just by studying it uh, in books. But what we want to do is to look at the Acts and see how it actually moved. And we are interested in the movement of the Holy Spirit as we look at the church. We are actually wanting to follow the Holy Spirit, right? Actually, we want, to, we want to follow the Holy Spirit even more than we want to follow the church. The church is important. Yeah, it's great. But the Holy Spirit is even more, don't you think? We are people who want to be students of that, and we want to watch, it, watch, watch the Holy Spirit move. Um, we looked at um, the formation of the church, and we saw that the formation of the church was really in response to Peter's sermon, where when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, and the, the 120 that were in the upper room. Tremendous things took place. Miraculous things took place. And I'm going to just, uh, just to catch everybody up to where we are now, uh, look at it in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38. Peter said to them, as he's preaching to the thousands who had been um, at Jerusalem for the feast. These were people from all countries around the known world. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? You will receive the gift as the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, and as many as the, Holy, the, the Lord our God will call to himself. And as with many words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Yep. Be saved from this per perverse generation. And so what you have now is the church that is actually a response to these two things that, that, that Peter is saying. You can have the Holy Spirit no matter how far you are. Not only you, but the, your children. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. This was something that the Old Testament was looking forward to. Yeah, the holy the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit could make God real. Make God real. And the second thing is to escape the perverse and, uh, and, uh, and corrupt generation. And so the church really organized itself in response to these two things, one positive and one negative. They wanted to escape the perversity of this generation, and secondly, they wanted the Holy Spirit. And I, I would like to put it to you that actually everything that we read in the Acts is the movements of the Holy Spirit, how the church responded to the Holy Spirit's moving, how it overcame the corruption and the perversion that, would, that they found within themselves. And that's what we have as church. Church is almost like a verb rather than a noun. The church is the movement of the Holy Spirit in which we are following Him and finding that as we follow Him, we are receiving more and more of His power to do His works. It's as simple as that, yeah? So that's what we've been looking at. And as a result of that, 
as a res- result of um, Peter's sermon, this dual thing was going on. And you can see these two things right through the, the, the book of Acts, and you can look at it right through the epistles. It's almost, as, it's, it's almost too simple to believe. That is that the, everything we read in the New Testament is the following of the Holy Spirit from Acts onwards, right? From Acts onwards. And the saving of ourselves because of the power of the Holy Spirit from corruption. All right, let's have a look at this. And as a result of that, um, they were baptized, verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, and they could continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching is one. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are the four very basic things that um, that constitute a church. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And uh, everything else that we see in the New Testament is really built upon that. Yeah? Everyone kept feeling, verse 43, a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. You notice the narrative is talking about things happening as it's happening, right? As, as it's happening, this is, this is a lot. you see the action there. And signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who were believed were together, had all things in prom- common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them or with all as anyone might have need, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. Let's, we can stop here. What we see is the movement of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in having more and more of the Holy Spirit. I want to follow Him. I want to see how He moves. I want to follow how He moves. I'm more interested in seeing Him move in action in real time than in knowing things about Him. Insofar as knowing things about him and studying and going to seminary and doing all this kind of thing and doing Bible study and all that will help me to see him knowing those things are not following him. They're not actually following him. The object of our, 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 our attention is him, right? Correct? Seeing him, hearing him, even feeling him, moving with him. The object of our attention is not things about him. It's possible to know him without knowing too much academics about him. Possible? Because what we want is the stuff. Just like riding a bike can be done without actually knowing the physics of it. True? And uh, those of you who are here during the weekend, I was talking about how somebody was wanting to ride a bike and she, after she had graduated from Berkeley and was now a lawyer, told me, I don't know how to ride a bike. After all these years, I don't know how to ride a bike. And we talked about First Corinthians and, and, and we talked about God has, having given us all things that, that pertain to, to knowledge of Him. Yeah? And I said, this knowledge works this way. Sometimes we don't know the knowledge, but if we practice it, then knowledge will come, right? 
if we obey him, then knowledge will come. So, so she said, okay, I'm going to try it. I said, first of all, just think about it this way. If you ride that bike for 300 meters, knowing, knowing how to ride a bike will come to you. She says, I don't know about that. I've tried it. I mean, how, how many meters did you ride your bike? 20 meters, 30 meters, and I fell off. And I said, look, you try it. Just keep going for 300 meters and knowledge of how to ride a bike will come to you. So she did. First 30 meters, fell. First 50 meters, fell. About 150 meters on, somehow she just made it. And she was riding. And at that point, the knowledge that was there came to her. How we came to her, we don't know. She doesn't know. But knowledge of how to ride a bike came. Does that make sense? I was just talking, Cindy and I were having a walk uh, a few days ago, and we met this very interesting man, a retired professor from Caltech. He wrote papers with, um, with Feynman and all that. And so he said, you know, insects and animals know more physics than we all do. But it's all practical. It's all practical. In fact, I want to put it to you that if you want to know how to ride a bike, this is not the way to ride a bike. Let's have a look at this. These are the equations. These are not all the equations. Actually, um, there's this uh, professor from, uh, from MIT who says that actually we don't even know all the factors and all the coefficients that are, that, that, that are involved in riding a bike. It is possible, we can put this down so that we will not get headaches. Um, it is possible for us to want to follow the Holy Spirit and be so booked up and being so, 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 so academic about it that the lens from which we are, we are actually looking at the Holy Spirit and is, is going to actually stiffen us rather than actually cause us to be able to have the dynamics. Now, the apostles' doctrine had to do with the fact that God has come into us and made us have a new life and has crucified and killed the old life, what we sometimes call the old Adam, the first Adam. The apostles' doctrine that is the overarching theme for the, for the New Testament is just the fact that we, the first Adam that, was, that we were, we who we are, in the, what, we, what the Bible calls the old man, was completely bankrupt in its ability, its completely diseased in its ability to follow God in any way. Right? The Old Testament saints found that they just couldn't do it. There was enough sin in them. You know, Paul calls it the body of sin that was completely corrupted. It's completely perverse. It's, it, it wants to do the right thing, but it can't. It doesn't have the power to do that. And then it was, it's been shot through with sin. It's diseased with sin. And then the New Testament tells us that when Christ died on the cross, that body of sin, that body that's trying and trying and trying with all its talents, it's all its, it's, all its uh, um, aspirations and all its aberrations has failed. It's dead. Romans 3.23 tells us it's actually dead. I mean, spiritually inoperable. It has ambitions and has aspirations to follow God. It has inklings from heaven, but it can't action it. It, can, it cannot cause it to materialize. It cannot, it cannot walk in that way. And the prophets in Jeremiah chapter 31, Ezekiel 36 said, there will come a time when, when God will make a new covenant with you. 
Not like the old covenant, which you fail to, to be able to, to, to follow and, and, and to experience the good of. But when, when, but when the new covenant comes, God will take your heart of stone out of you and put in a heart of flesh in you and that you will be able to do these things. So that the Ten Commandments will be ten promises. You will not murder. You will love the Lord your God. Yeah? You will have this. These become promises. The new covenant, the apostles' doctrine that they devoted themselves to, spoke about the fact that the power of the first Adam, who you are in the flesh, to, to fulfill God's laws is completely um, absent. When Christ died on the cross, he killed it. You cannot live the Christian life with the old man. It's impossible. Most of what we see in Christian circles is people trying to patch up the old man and give all kinds of Christian principles and Christian commandments and Christian t- uh, kind of, kind of uh, 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 tips to try to shore up the old man, but you can't. You can't drag an old, old body around. And, it, and that's what most Christians are doing. They're dragging their old body around. And uh, you drag, drag it around long enough, it really stinks, right? Sometimes we try to put lipstick on it, put makeup on it to make it look better, but it really is a dead body. The only way in which you can live the, the Christian life is not to heal that old dead, dead body, but it's to cut it off. And we can't by our own power. We can't do it by our strength. But what Christ did was that 2,000 years ago, he broke its power. That's why Romans chapter 6 says, even the spirit of death, the power of death, it's not there anymore. And if you are a Christian, you're not a Christian because you, you, you go to church any more than a car, uh, uh, what is it? You're a car just because you live in a garage. You are not a Christian because of that, because you go to church, but you are a Christian because something supernatural and very radical took place, and that is that you died. That's why Christ says, uh, that Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. What? You're crucified with Christ and then you still live? Yes, but not me. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The, 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 the apostles' doctrine had to do with the fact that we now live a life in which Christ is living that life through us. Amen? If, you, if not, then forget, it, forget about it. The Christian life is an impossibility. It's an impossibility. Actually, life is an, it's, it's a, it's a it's an impossibility if we want to live at God's highest. So, just, so that's the apostles' doctrine. So we talked about that for the past few weeks. But I'd like to focus on one word today. And that word is the word devoting. In verse 42, to go after the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, so much so that the corruption of, of, uh, of sin is no longer there. Verse 42, it says, they were continually, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching or apostles' doctrine, to fellowship and to the baking of bread and to, to prayer. There were these four things, the apostles' doctrine or apostles' teaching, breaking of, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves to these things. Right? They devoted themselves to these things. The word devoted um, is a very interesting uh, Greek word. Um, and it really means being given over to that, to be committed, to be, um, to be um, um, singular 
in your attentiveness or your attention to it. To devote is to actually take the center from yourself and to devote it to another. Okay, When you get married, you are devoted to your husband or your wife. That means you do not live for yourself. Your husband or your wife is no longer the best instrument for your own self-fulfillment or your, your, your own happiness. He or she becomes the one you're devoted to. You are for that person. You live for that person and not for yourself. You don't curve that person's uh, energies in towards yourself. Does that make sense? To be devoted to these things means to, to almost give up yourself. Okay, proskatoreo means to actually give yourself, to, to throw yourself to that person and you're living for that person. Now that's, that takes the, the new Adam, the, the second Adam, because we can't do that. We are diseased in our own self. We can't. We live for ourselves. We do good things for people for our own sake. We follow God and do all the things that God wants us to for our own sake, right? We, we worship the well-being that comes from becoming a Christian. And in America... We've developed that par excellence to, a, to the nth degree because we are all about becoming a Christian so that becoming a Christian will satisfy us, will self-fulfill us, will fulfill our dreams. And God becomes the one who is the fulfiller of dreams par excellence. What say you? We can't help it. <laughs> Don't feel bad. We can't help it. No, no, feel bad. <laughs> No, no, don't feel bad because you are, you are in the new Adam now. <laughs> the old Adam can't. The old English word that's used for this, this kind of narcissism and the narcissistic kind of tendency in our old flesh is the word incurvature. We cannot devote ourselves to God without it all coming back to ourselves. It just curves back into ourselves. Yeah, and I said before, we're worshipping God and we're wondering after a while when we're worshipping, instead of it being for God, it's just like, how's my worship? Yeah, because it gets curved back into ourselves. We can't help it. And so when the, when, when, when the Holy Spirit came, it gave the Christians the ability to devote themselves. So to devote yourself to God is to give yourself to God so that everything that we, we, we live for is for God and not for what God can do for you. How's that? <laughs> It's harder than it looks because of the nature of sin. And that is why it's not possible for, for us to live the Christian life in the old person. We have to accept by faith the fact that God has come in Christ Jesus and he has done away with that old nature. And even though we, we sometimes feel selfish and we feel stressed out about these things, God has given us a new person. We present ourselves to God and wait upon him, and then we begin to experience the, the relief of the new nature coming in. Amen? Okay, let's have a look at this. And this is the problem. The perversion that, um, that uh, Peter was talking escaped this perverse generation. Interesting is the word, in, interestingly is the word Scolios, the perverse generation or corrupt or 
curved or warped is the word scolios. It's almost as if we can't help being bent. We're just bent inside. We're crippled inside. We're bent inside. We're scolios inside. We have an inner spiritual scoliosis. We can't help it. The back's that way. We just can't, can't get out of it. But Peter was saying that because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, that spiritual scoliosis, that emotional scoliosis that we have, that causes us to not be able to help curving back in toward ourselves, towards ourselves, being more self-conscious than God-conscious, has been broken. That is the radical thing about what Peter was saying. He's not saying, now, now, now be more, more faithful to God, be more, more faithful to the Torah. No, he's saying, you've been set free. Yeah, amen? You've been set free. Praise God. And so, I want to talk a little bit about this. Let's, let's go in, a f- because God wants to liberate us from the things that cause us to be so burdened by our own self. The things that cause us to be so curved back into ourselves. And what happens, what happens that when we get curved back into ourselves, we get curved back into the old self that is selfish and that is plagued with torments. And what God wants to do is to actually free us up from the burden of selfishness so that we can be living for the Lord. Amen? You know the story of the little donkey, right, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem? The reason why he rode a little donkey into, the, to, to the, into Jerusalem was, was that he wanted to avoid riding a white stallion. Yeah? Other would-be messiahs would come into Jerusalem because they had known the prophecy of Zechariah and they ride this white stallion in a challenge, char- chariot saying, we can, we, can, we can whack those Romans, yeah? we can whack those guys. And Jesus comes in and he rides in a, in a, in a humble donkey and someone tells this story about what happened after that. The donkey goes back into the barn. And all the other animals are saying, Don- little donkey, why are you so happy? Donkey goes, I had a great day today. They put branches on the ground for me. They put, you know, furs and cloths and, 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 and garments on, the, on me, on my back. They really honored me. And then this man sat on top of me and then felt good. And you know what? After that, they started worshipping me. And they said, Hazana to me. Donkeys goes back, very happy. He wakes up the next day and goes out with his chest pumped out and says, I'm here. And everybody says, oh, it's just you? Get back to work. And what, what happens is that the donkey um, represents our incurvature. Yeah? Our incurvature. We've got spiritual scoliosis. It just makes us turn back upon ourselves. Yeah? 
when I... Uh, and how many of you know how ugly it is when we think it's all about us? When we do ministry and the ministry is all about us. Or when we do things and everything is all about us. You know, it's just like, you know, when our three children were in swimming, there would be these parents who would be parents of really good swimmers, really fast swimmers. But it's actually very gross for us as parents to walk around strutting around because your child is really fast. Because it's really not about you. And you can sometimes see these parents like, And everybody's wondering, what are you ing about? What are you ing about, you know? I'm the parent of Kaylin Cole. So, who are you? I know who's Kaylin Cole, but who are you? And the grossness of that is really a picture of the grossness of how we are so incurved within ourselves. But Jesus came to set us free from that. Amen? He set us free. Let's have a look at this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship. Their relationship with fellowship, their, their relation to the, the, the teaching of the Lord was a relationship that was not a selfish relationship is not something in which they were the center. The only way in which they could actually know God and know the Holy Spirit is to know without a center in self. That's the only way you can know anything. That's the only way in which we can know by, be, by, by being freed up from our own selfishness and knowing things for itself or else you will always know things in relation to yourself. You will only know things in, in terms of how it is relevant to me or how it's good for me. And what God wants to do is to set us free. I remember when I was young, it was a, it was a, it was a problem for me because I knew how selfish I was. I knew how selfish I was. I could not help thinking about all my interactions with people in terms of myself. And if, every time I was relating to people, I'd go out with friends and all that, I'd come back and I'd think, what did they think of me? I know, it's kind of embarrassing, right? And I'm sure none of you are like that. But for me, I had a, a huge dose of narcissism. I would think, what is it about me? The great things would happen. And when, when these things that were amazing things that were happening, you know what I would be thinking? What do they think about me in that amazing thing? It's almost as if I couldn't get beside the point. I couldn't put myself beside the point. And I realized that I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself. When I was stressed out or I was fearful, that thing would come up more. And I, and I could feel that in my own self. There is this thing, the self, that's like a huge magnet that pulls back everything upon myself. Everything I was fearful, I would just clam up into myself again. And I wonder whether many of us experience anxiety may experience fear because of the fact that this fear has a, has a, has a root in that. And if you're living in the, new, in the, in, in the old, old self, that, power, that has power to actually 
cause you to be just crumpled into ourselves. Most people are crumpled in. Their self is crumpled into themselves. Yeah? But what Christ has done he has, he has, is that He has set us free. And then what happened is that when the, when the Lord touched my life and, and filled me with the Holy Spirit, I began to experience something that I had never experienced before. I started wanting my friends to become Christians. I was, a grad, I was, a, I was, I was an undergraduate at that time, but people was, were, were coming to the Lord, and before long, there were, so many of my classmates had become Christians. And as they had become Christians more and more, I began to experience their problems as well. And actually, what happened was that what occupied my mind was them. When I went into full-time ministry, uh, we start, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been involved in planning, this is my seventh church, but every time I get involved in ministry, I realize something. I was not even praying for myself. I had no time to pray for myself. And it was in this that I, my mind was f- occupied with God and with people's problems and, and, and what, what, what people needed. I found myself completely set, set free from myself to love and to live for other people. And I was devoted. And that's why the Old Testament always uses the word devoted. um, Instruments in the tabernacle that are devoted to the Lord. That means they have one purpose. Their purpose is singular for that. And I found tremendous liberty when I found myself being devoted to just wanting to help them, to cause them to get free from addiction or from suicide. And I had lots of people who would come into into my church that were filled with um, problems, hang-ups, diseases. Many of them were suicidal. Many of them were uh, were in depression. Many of them had a very bad history. And and, and when they came into my church, I would preach to them and tell them, God can change that. God can set you free from all that. And once I made that promise, I had to to see God make, make good on that promise. And you know what? God began to heal them. God began to change them, make them completely different people. And I found myself actually freed up from my own self. I never thought about ministry. Can you imagine? I was doing ministry hours and hours a day, and I never even thought about it. I never even got a chance to pray for myself because of the fact that somehow, when I was set free from myself to be devoted to God, I found myself I actually found myself. I actually found myself. There are some things that we will never know about ourselves unless we live in relation to God, devoted to Him. Unless you live devoted to Him, singularly devoted to Him, and not about Him curving back in to help you or to give you a good life, but, but, but dare to actually throw yourself at Him and to say, Lord, I want to live for what you want. I want your, your, your desires to be fulfilled in me. You know what? You will find yourself, and you'll find yourself quite a different person than who you are when self is in the center. When self is in the center, you cannot help but knowing God only in relation to what your needs are. can't help it. It's all about me. It's all about us. But when there's something that, that happens, it's almost as if a duck t- takes the water 
And when the duck takes the water for the first time, it suddenly finds itself. We cannot experience the Christian life unless that happens. And Christ has made it possible for us to do that. And so I want to actually um, talk about this a little bit more. It says they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' doctrine, not in an academic way only, but also to fellowship. Do you see that? Um, Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the fellowship. I'd like to talk a little bit about fellowship because here this actually applies as well. The thing about fellowship is this. It has to be done by being devoted. The devotion is not to people in relation to how they can help us or they can comfort us, or can support us. The word devoted now becomes the spirit with which we look at all the things that they did, right? They devoted themselves to fellowship. This is different from just being interested in fellowship. You see, when there's a center in self that's curved into ourselves, all fellowship is for ourselves. We're constantly looking for the right people. We're constantly looking for the people that will satisfy us. They will fit with us. They would jive with us. They would be a support for us. We're looking for the right people. That's why sometimes as churches, people just clump among people that are like their own, right? But the church is the most radical thing where you have people of different races, different ages, different cultures, different educational levels. They mix and when they mix together, there's, a, there's something that binds them together because they are devoted to fellowship. They're not devoted to themselves. They're not mixed, mixed like that, but they are devoted to themselves. What we want to see in our church is this. Not that we are self-consciously multi-ethnic. We're not trying to be multi-ethnic. We want to be people-centered, right? God-centered. When we are self-consciously trying to craft the fellowship and make it in our own image, we, have, we get into problems. But what God has done is that He's given us a love for people regardless of what their kinds are. That's why the, the, the church has to be the most diverse, not because we are, we are, we are valuing diversity by, by itself as, a, as, a, as, a, as an absolute principle, but because God is that way. He loves us and He can cause us to, to love people even who are lo- loveless and unlovely. Yeah? And I remember one time, someone, someone came into my, my church and he was homeless and he was so stinky that everybody in the church, he sat on the left pew and everybody for, for, one, for reason, I had just come in a little bit late and I saw, why was everybody in the right pew? And I could see that he was feeling self-conscious. He had come in because he had a great need. And he needed food. He wasn't coming in for God. He was coming in for food. And was hoping that we would give him something. And when I saw that, that most of my church was on the right pew while he was on the left pew, the Holy Spirit touched me, you know. And I went to him and the Holy Spirit gave him a hug. 
As I got closer to him, I could see fleas on his head. The Holy Spirit said, give him a hug. So I just hugged him. When I hugged him, he started weeping. And I don't know why, I started weeping as well. And then some of the people on the right pew started weeping as well. And they moved to the left pew. I didn't know all this was happening. I, to me, all I could feel was the love of God for that, for that person. And I knew there was essentially no difference between him and me. And this person became a, a member of the church. We didn't ask him to clean up. He just found that he had motivation to take a shower. He asked, do you think anybody has old clothes that I can borrow? By the time the church just over, over ex, ex, extended their, their finances and their love and bought him a lot of new clothes and he became a member of our, our church. Isn't that amazing? This can happen. This has to happen. But not because of the fact we have the value for that, but because of the Holy Spirit within us. Not because we want to do all these works that look really good, but because of the Holy Spirit within us. When the Holy Spirit within is, is within us, He gives us fellowship. And fellowship is the, is the exchange of supernatural things, things of God. Whether it's finances or it's love or it's time or it's attention, it's just supernatural, just flow of these things. Not, not us being a support group to one another only. Not just becoming, falling upon one another and flopping on one, on one another. That's, that's, that there is a place for that, by the way. Don't, 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 don't get me wrong. But because of the fact that God puts that within us. Now, some people who want fellowship are very, very lonely. But they are not lonely because no, nobody wants to talk to them. They are lonely because they are autonomous. They are not devoted. They are devoted to themselves. And everything that they do in relationship to other people is so that they can receive comfort or receive support or receive fellowship or receive entertainment or receive something. They are actually very lonely. The reason why I say they're lonely is that because they will always find that people are not that good to them. Don't fully understand them. Waste their time. Are not strategic. Not of the same wavelength. They always find that. And what will happen is that the center in itself is isolating and it isolates, it just moves away. And it keeps looking for people who are like them. Same age, same whatever, same kind and all that. And they move towards that. And they are bound up. They are isolated in their lonely autonomy. That's why C.S. Lewis says, the, 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 the problem with us is, he says, that the problem is, with us is that we just want to be left alone. The reason the reason why we want to left, be left alone is not because we don't want people. We just want to be left alone from their demands upon us. We just want to be left alone. We don't want to have to change. We want to relate to people on our own terms. And so when that happens, you will keep on looking for people who will, who will fit your terms, fit your terms in terms of fellowship. When they devoted themselves to fellowship in the church, 
what happened is that they gave themselves to the Lord. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says. They gave themselves to the Lord and to the, and, and to the saints. They gave themselves to the Lord, so they devoted themselves. And as they did that, they did not consider fellowship a thing that is advantageous like, or needful, but as something that the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives. Amen? I want to invite you to give your life to Him, devote yourself to Him today as we close in prayer. Uh, please bow your heads with, in prayer with me. I believe that God is here with us. It's an all-pervasive and yet subtle shift that God is, I believe, doing, wanting to do in our lives. If you feel that your spiritual life has been not satisfying because of the fact that you're obsessed, you're burdened by how it'll work for you. I feel that the first order of business has to be that Devote yourself to the Lord. Devote yourself to the Lord. Against the scoliosis of the old man. The great news is this, Jesus has overcome it. Jesus has overcome it. And you and I can have liberty to trust Him for your future. Trust Him for the desires of your heart. Trust Him that if you pay attention to Him, He will set you free from the inside. We welcome you, Lord, and thank you that you are good and that everything you desire for us is good to such an extent that we don't have to worry too much about it. That you can, in the midst of our worries, our anxieties, and our unresolved issues, even in our unresolved places of of a struggle and conflict, you have taken care of it. That we can not be loaded and burdened with this consideration of ourselves and be free to live for you. Go ahead, do business with God. We transact with you, Lord. We say, Lord, take our life Hallelujah. Make it all make make our lives yours, Lord. We pray for every person who's feeling the the grind of trying to live and yet constantly being worried, constantly being burdened. 
by how things will affect us. I want to announce to you that God is well able to take care of our loved ones. Let go. The Bible says, cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. What a wonderful thing when we don't have to worry about ourselves and put ourselves in His hand. Let's go ahead and just talk to Him right now. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Just keep it there. Present ourselves to Him and say, I'm waiting on you. Lift the burden, Lord. And if you're willing to wait long enough, the burden will lift emotionally from you. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name, Lord. We thank you, Lord. That you have dealt with sin's burden upon us. And given us of your spirit. We want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.